So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I have a dream. My four little children one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. See, great speeches, great moments in history have been marked by great speeches. And there have been a lot of powerful speeches, some that have moved people to great change and to great things, some that have moved people to, to the wrong direction. But regardless, some of them stand out in history. Uh, now, as somebody who gets to speak, uh, it's part of what my, my job, my life has been the last 20 some years. Uh, I don't, I, I've gotten to do some pretty uh, uh, unbelievable things. I've spoken on some amazing stages. I've spoken in several different continents. And so if you were to ask me, hey, uh, what's one that I remember and one of the most memorable, I don't have a lot of big ones, but I, I'll tell you the one that I actually, I remember the most. It was actually was when I was at my youngest, probably one of my worst speeches of all time. Um, but, but one of the ones that sticks out to me was when I was a senior in high school. Now, where I come from in Nebraska, um, our schools did a thing called baccalaureate. Uh, some of you know what that is and some of you don't. If you don't know what it is, it's basically a church service for all of the graduates and their families and, and whoever else the week before graduation. Uh, not everybody has to go, but pretty much everybody kind of goes. It's kind of a tradition. Um, and and I, I was far from perfect, my goodness. Uh, my dad's on staff here. You can ask him. Uh, he could tell you all kinds of stuff. Um, but I, I, I did have a reputation as a Jesus follower. Well, not now. Like, wait till I'm done preaching. Um, they're right here. Uh, uh, but but I, I, I tried to follow Jesus. I prayed it literally every day. Helped me to love my, my classmates. And so um, I had the distinct privilege of being asked to be the student speaker at baccalaureate. And and for me, it was, I just remember it because I remember putting a lot of pressure on myself. Again, I was young, but it was my one chance, not just to live in front of my, 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 my fellow classmates, but to tell them what I was about. And what I was about was a relationship with Jesus that would give me an eternity in heaven and a better way of living here on earth. And, um, and again, I don't remember anything about it. I, I remember being nervous. I remember talking to, uh, I think, my parents and my pastor, and I wanted it to be good. But I just remember, like, the feeling, kind of the stakes of going, like, man, even if just one of my classmates even starts thinking about giving Jesus a shot, what an opportunity I have to maybe impact somebody's life. And I always think about that. Um, and again, when I was doing that at 18, if you told me where I would be at 42, I'd be, this would have blown my mind. I probably would have ran and hid. Um, but this was my, my one shot, and, and I'll never forget it. And, and Jesus, he had three years on earth, but he came out of the gate with his big shot. Um, you could easily make the argument easily that his first speech ever that was recorded, at least that we know of, um, transformed history, that it introduced something brand new, that it introduced something that, that the world has never been the same since. This was Jesus's time. And, and so here's the, the, the history of that. Um, here at our church, there's a couple things you should know if you're visiting. First of all, it's okay to breathe, laugh, smile. Um, uh, if I say something funny, you can laugh. If I say something you like, you can say amen, hootie hoo, dilly dilly, whatever. Um, if I say something you don't like, you keep that to yourself, okay? Um, uh, also, 
Uh, also, that we believe that in order to understand the world of the Bible or the words of the Bible, it helps to know the world of the Bible. So what happened there and then helps us better understand um, how we can apply it here and now. And here's what you need to know about there and then. Somebody say there and then. Okay, that's good. That's, it was okay. Uh, this side did good. That side was uh, whatever. Um, online, I'm sure you all said it. Uh, uh, there and then, Jesus, uh, the, God gave a law, 10, law, 10 kind of commandments to Moses and some ways of living 1,500 years previous to Jesus. And over 1,500 years, you're never gonna believe this, but humans complicated it. They argued about it. They got it wrong. They debated it. It became overwhelming. It became oppressive. They argued and debated about arguing and debating. And by the time Jesus showed up, there were 613 what they called mishvats or 613 laws that you had to do to be a good, uh, right with God, God-honoring Jew. And Jesus showed up to simplify the whole thing. In fact, he took 613. He took God, G Moses' 10 commandments. He made it two really simple things. Love God with everything you got. Love people the way you love God. Like he simplified it. And that's our mission statement here at Cape Christian. Love God love people. He said that, but he showed up in the middle of overwhelming complication, debating. It was way off of what it should have been. And he shows up, lives 30 years, just as in the culture, uh, a Jewish person. And then in Matthew, we see that he goes and gets baptized. Upon his baptism, the, God speaks, the Holy Spirit's like right there. Everybody saw it. And Matthew 4 kind of records the beginning of Jesus's ministry like this. It says, from that time on in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach, this was his message, kind of a summation, repent, which means change the way you think, change your direction, change the way you live, for the kingdom, somebody say kingdom. kingdom. Somebody who's happy at church, happy to be at church, say kingdom. kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is here, is at hand, is near, is now upon you. And so what Jesus says from the beginning, he makes it clear, I came to introduce a new kingdom, a new citizenship, a new way of living, a new way of interacting. He came to establish and introduce a new kingdom. Now, I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of living or traveling internationally. I, I haven't lived internationally, but I've had the privilege of traveling a lot. I've been on, in most continents. And, and, and what you learn really quickly when you travel internationally is there are different rules in different countries. Different societies, different words mean different things in different countries. Different hand gestures mean different things in different countries. There's the way you act, what you eat for a meal, how you eat a meal, who serves a meal, where you sit, all kinds of things. There are lots of things uh, that are different. And often when, we, when we've traveled, some for missions, some for, for even political, uh, kind of political reasons, they've done training like, okay, this is what you do, what you don't do. And so it's interesting because when diff you go to a different kingdom, you have, it's a different behavior, a different way of, of, of living. And so um, having a little fun with this, I'm like digging into this. I'm like, I wanted to find out what some of the differences were. And so um, in English, there's different words that mean something very different translated to other language. Like for example, I don't know if there's any Germans here. Uh, it's Cape Coral, there has to be. Um, <laughs> you all own all the property. Um, <laughs> it's true. Uh, oh, now I get an amen, great. Uh, <laughs> dilly dilly. Uh, in the word, in, in the United States, the word handy means something useful, right? But does anybody know what a handy is in German? It's a cell phone. It's a, it's a hand, like, oh, that's a handy. That, that's really handy. Um, this one really matters. Kiss. I think most of us know what kiss is in the United States. However, if you're ever in Sweden, it means to pee. <laughs> so where can we kiss has a very different, like, approach in Sweden uh, all of our UK fans and people and residents, we biscuit, right? In America, a biscuit's a flaky piece of bread, but originally a real, she's shaking her head, a real biscuit is a 
Cookie, yes, it's a cookie, of course, right? This one I thought was hilarious. Wagon, right? Uh, we all know what a wagon is because we either played Oregon Trail or got here because of the Oregon Trail. I don't know what generation you're in. Um, about half and half down here in Florida. Um, but <laughs> you may not think this is funny. I'm loving it, okay? So this is for me. Uh, wagon uh, is a wooden vehicle, we know. But in Ireland, a wagon is an unpleasant woman. <laughs> what a wagon. Uh, See, this is why I'm always surprised you come back every week, like this stuff right here. And then, of course, the, the, the big one, because we just had the World Cup, right? Football. Real football is, yeah, it really is. And for me to infer otherwise, it would be American arrogance, you know. Either Americans have it right and the rest of the world has it wrong. We, we don't want to be that way. American football, yes, absolutely. And hand gestures. I don't know if you know, but there are several countries. You don't want to do this or this or this. But the, probably the most famous slip was actually in the inauguration. True story, 2005, when President George W. Bush was being sworn in. Um, if you know anything about the Bushes, they're Texans, proud Texans. They're University of Texas. Their mascot is a longhorn and their thing. Um, if you're from Texas, I love you, but I hate the longhorns. Um, and so their thing is the hook em horns. Well, what President Bush, so he said, hook them horns, and he did this. What he didn't know in about every Latina community, and I've confirmed this with our Latinos, that actually is, is you telling somebody that their wife is cheating on them, their spouse is cheating on them, or calling them kind of a derogatory, like, liar. And so when he did this, there was kind of an international outrage that about a third of the world couldn't believe President Bush did this in his... So again, different kingdoms, different cultures, different meanings. If he would have been smart, he would have done this, and it would have been fine. Um... Anyway, why do I tell you that? Because everywhere you go, it's different. And Jesus was clear from the beginning. As soon as he came out of the water, different kingdom, different rules. We're not gonna behave the same. We're gonna have different hand gestures. Some of you are gonna have less hand gestures. The way we interact with each other is gonna be different. What's whose is gonna be different. How possessive we get about things are gonna be different. What we demand is gonna be different. Where our identity lies in a different, gonna be different. What's the most important thing? I'm gonna introduce a brand new kingdom. And when he opens his mouth, he walks up to a, a mountainside and he starts what is about a 15 minute speech that revolutionized human history. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And that's where we're gonna spend the next several weeks in. And he starts by, with this idea of what we call the Beatitudes. And it's kind of his monologue intro going, blessed are this and blessed are that. And here's what he starts, because you have to understand if you don't get the beginning, you actually, it looks like he's adding more stuff, but he's not. He's going to give context to and, and simplify an already convoluted and messy religious system. And so um, he starts with this. He's laying out the kingdom. This is his speech, his moment. And hopefully this should sound familiar to some of you. This is how he starts. You are the salt of the earth. So he doesn't start with how to live. He doesn't start with how to act. He starts with who you are. You as a follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, uh, how can it be made salty again? It's basically good for nothing except it be thrown out, trampled underfoot. He goes on again. He goes, maybe you didn't understand that one. Let me give you another one. You, this should sound really familiar, are the light of the world. See, for a whole month of December, we talked about being the light of the world. Well, we didn't tell you how. Well, that's what January is. 
because that's what he's going to do. He says, you're the light of the world. A town can't, on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, they put it on a stand and it give light to the house. In the same way, you let your light shine before other people so that they can see your good deeds, but give glory to who? God in heaven. So the whole intro, the whole context, the whole application to the Sermon on the Mount isn't a bunch of behavioral interaction, more laws to do things. The whole premise is, you are salt, you are light. Now I'm gonna spend about 15 minutes telling you what does salt and light really look like? Because you've been confused, you've got it wrong. And so I came here to live it, to model it, and to show you what it looks like. And so here we go. It's not new rules and regulations. It's how we are to treat and interact with each other. And so Jesus, when he introduces a new kingdom, you're, if you read through the gospels regularly, you're gonna hear him say something like this. You have heard it said and then he's gonna reference something from the old way of living. And then he's gonna say, but I tell you, and he's gonna introduce the new kingdom. And so he does that a lot in the Sermon on the Mount, quoting either popular rhetoric from, rhetoric from culture or even Levitical law from Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And so he's literally coming to offer a new way to be human, a better way to live, the most fulfilling, uh, the most best way that we can live. And it's going to have everything to do with not just our righteousness or holiness, but it's actually gonna have everything to do with how we interact with one another. Jesus is so clear on the greatest speech of all time that dwarfs King, it dwarfs Normandy, it dwarfs Churchill, it dwarfs uh, anybody. He starts with your salt, your light, and the most important thing is how you will interact. And so we're gonna dive into this because he's literally going to start. So he says your salt, he says your light, and now we're gonna jump in at the very first part and we're just gonna focus on one thing because this one thing is what sets up the rest of the, the, the Sermon on the Mountain. So we'll pick up in 21, but we're gonna highlight the end of this. He says, you have heard it said to, by people long ago, you shouldn't murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to brother or sister Raka, which is basically like me like, you idiot, um, is uh, uh, answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Again, we're not gonna focus on that. These two verses are what, what we're gonna focus on. And I'm convinced if the church, if the people who say I'm a Christian, I go to church, I follow Jesus. If we would take Jesus at his word with the next two sentences I'm about to read, it would revolutionize our communities, our families, our churches. And, and, and we may still be a motley crew because we are, but people will be like, man, there's something different about them, especially in today's day and age. And he says something revolutionary because in those days, the most important thing was, was uh, your time in the presence of God. It was going to the temple. But before you entered the presence of God, you had to do a few things. You had to do a ceremonial cleansing. You had to offer a gift at the altar, usually uh, a, a sin offering or a birds or goats or sheep. There's all kinds, of, it's, again, it's all in the Old Testament. And so he's gonna reference that because that's his audience. But watch what he says and think about it in the context of, our, of how we live today. He says this, again, new kingdom. We used to do hook'em horns. We're not doing that anymore. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so translation, 2023, United States, if you're heading into church and you're singing, what was the last song we sang? I Surrender, whatever it was, yeah, that one. How great is thou, God, our God? How great thou art. Amazing grace. If you're about to grab your phone and do your online giving and give the missions, 
If you're about to sit down and take notes because, man, the pastor's about to preach some fire even though you're going to barely stay awake. <laughs> Let's go. Somebody who wants to be in church other than me. And I already did this a couple times. If you're about to go, watch what he says. This is crazy. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't show the next one yet. Now all of a sudden, we're in the presence of God. We're in the holy sanctuary. <laughs> and if you happen to not be so focused on the presence of God that you remember that there's something kind of off with you and somebody, what does he say to do? He says, just continue to carry on because there's nothing more important than the temple. Nope. Nope. That's the old kingdom. Here's the new kingdom. Leave your gift right where it's at. Drop it. Not interested in another song. Not interested in your tithe. Not interested in your missions offering. I am, but we're not there yet. You don't need to take notes on the sermon. Leave your gift. What, then what? Go and be reconciled. Then, verse two of the song I can't remember. <laughs> Amazing Grace. Make room. It's like one of my favorite songs. Finally, there it is. Make room. Do you guys realize how big of a statement this is? You don't, <laughs> my team, they, they like trump me. They veto me. You know what my idea for this sermon was? Was to come interrupt you in the middle of worship with this message because that's the application. That's the equivalent, was to cut, cut it, stop. Hey, stop, sorry, sorry. I need to help some of you, sorry. Um, this is great, so glad you're here. Uh, I know we haven't taken the offering yet, probably should have done that first. But um, some of us, we had a rough Christmas. We got on our kids, we had some strife, we spent three days in a house with 13 people, and as much as we love them, we were ready to go. And there's some stuff not right. And so I feel like before we sing this next song, before we sing this next verse, I think Jesus would just say, let's all go outside, find a place, call your mom and say you're sorry. There was some stuff. You, in fact, you actually didn't go to Christmas this year. It's been three years because the thing that happened four years ago and you guys haven't really spoken and it's been awkward and it's off and you're both too proud to say you're sorry and you're both hurt and it's valid. And um, so before we sing this next song, um, Jesus would actually say like, stop the service and go make it right. Now, I'm not super smart, but I think the example I just gave isn't actually much of an exaggeration or hyperbole to what I just read. And here's what Jesus is making really clear. The only way we are good is as much as you can depend on, as much as you can control, you are good. As much as I love you being in my presence, I love prophecy. I love when the spirit moves. I love feeling his presence in worship. I love when Pastor Corey drops bombs on us. I love when we raise hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and adopt kids all over the world, which we did this year. As much as I love that, let me tell you what I love more. When you go make it right with broken relationships. So Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with two really important things. First of all, your salt and your light. But first, he would pose this question. 
Is there a bridge that broke down that you need to go rebuild before you come to church next week? Is there something you've been avoiding? Is something happened at work? Did something happen in your home? Did you write somebody off? Did so- Here's what's interesting about that verse. It doesn't say if, if you have something against somebody else, it actually says if you know they have something against you. What? Why is that on me, Jesus? Welcome to the kingdom, bruh. <laughs> we ain't doing the world's way because it sucks and it's broken. Because they want to blame everybody, we're going to be solutions. So even though you might not have done anything, hey, I couldn't help but notice the last couple times it seemed like something was off. I really value you, but it seems like maybe I did something. Are we good? That's what Jesus is saying, that we have the responsibility to do. But I didn't do nothing. Well, don't be in that kingdom. That kingdom sucks. So is there, here's, I'll I'll give you, we're not done for like 15 more minutes, but I'll tell you the ending. Is there a broken relationship? Maybe it's a couple of days or weeks old. Maybe it's years, decades. That the first thing Jesus would have you do this year is not carve out some more goals, not go crush your financial gains, not even spend 21 days in prayer and fasting, but go, hey, before you open the book on the 11th and you come back to church on the 14th or 15th, um, send that text message. You need to make a phone call. You need to set up a coffee. You need to start crafting a very heartfelt, meaningful, I'm sorry. And oh, by the way, in my kingdom, we go first. Even if it wasn't our fault, even if it's 80-20 and they get the 80. If you're online, it got really quiet. It's really weird in here right now. Like, (laughs) But we don't talk about this. But Jesus was like, up front, greatest speech, changed the world, irrefutable. If you don't believe me, go read the Who Is This Man book I recommended and you'll be convinced. And he starts with, hey, as important as the temple was and the tabernacle was and the presence of God was and the Holy Spirit and Acts 2 was, all the same kind of concept. He's like, it always leads to the same thing. I want you guys to be good because you're my kids and I super care about the relationships in your life. And I, and here's why, I want you to have healthy fulfilling, joy-giving, life-giving relationships. It's what I created you for. And when you miss out on that, you miss out on what I created you for. And so there's really nothing else. Because I mean, really, it's like, God, I just want a word from you. Go apologize to your sister. No, not that one. How about a year of prosperity? No hurricanes and pandemics, please. It's an odd year. The more you think about what I just said, the funnier it gets. Elections 2024, can we have a year off? God, I just want more of you. I just want to be like you. Well, I made peace and harmony with everybody and I even forgave my betrayers and so you need to go call your mom and you need to reconcile. No, not that. How about the prayer of Jabez? Extend my pen, 10 pegs, 100 X. What's he gonna say? He's like, you know, I'm like super cool with the fact that you cut everybody else out of your life, but let me bless you in other areas. It doesn't work that way. It's like, hey, um, you're still hurt from the thing that happened in your marriage 15 years ago and you did do some counseling and you're much better, but it's still there. So let's like, let's like solidify that bridge. Jesus wasn't playing games. 
I, I, I always think like you were God 30 years, like what was the first thing on your mind? This was the first thing on his mind. He had been waiting 30 years in all of human history to be like, here's what you need to know. And he starts with, this is on you and your relationships with each other really matter. I'm sold. So my, our discipleship ministry we ran for 16 years, it was basically just mediation and reconciliation nine months a year. If you come into leadership college, guess what? That's where you're going. If you're on my team, that's where we're at. Why? Because Jesus said it was important. But here's the problem, and here's what I want to spend a couple minutes with. And we'll go quick through this. Humans are notoriously horrible at conflict. Horrible. And Christians are no better. We do conflict terribly. Because most of us fit into one or two categories, and these are even... There's language for this in organizational psychology and, and stuff, whatever, that you don't need to know that. But most of us, we kind of fit, we go to one or two extremes. And so first of all, when it comes to conflict, when it comes to reconciliation, we either go, uh, we either go uh, put the weight of the world on our shoulders. It's all my fault. If I would have, if I was a better mom, if I was a better dad, if I da 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 a better boyfriend, da 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 or it's all their fault. I'm perfect. I mean, look at me, amazingness. But they, if she would have, they would have, we wouldn't be here. And so we usually go to extreme, and it usually takes two. But here's the two typical, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, but, but you know, you, you just need to know where you, where you land. Um, typically, we respond to conflict in one of two ways. None of us do it Jesus' way without having Jesus in us and transform us. None, so none of us are like, oh, tell us the third way. I will, but if you don't have Jesus, you're not doing it. <laughs> if you do, you still probably aren't doing it. Because most of us either avoid conflict we avoid it at all costs. We avoid tension. We avoid awkward conversations. We avoid uh, difficult, difficult conversations. We avoid apologies. We avoid certain people. We will even avoid events. I mean, how, you know, oh, we can't go there. Joneses are going to be there. Can't go there. So-and-so is going to be there. Now, again, there's a caveat coming in a minute with some boundaries and protecting your heart. It's in the Bible, so don't worry about that. But how many of us have missed out on what could have been really life-giving things but because of some sort of unbuilt bridge, unreconciled issue, we missed out on some life-giving relationships because of unresolved conflicts, because at all, above all, oh, I just forgive and forget, I forgive and you forget. No, you don't, you're hurt and you don't wanna deal with it. You're bummed out, whatever, avoid. We, we avoid it, we, we do everything we can to stay away from it. And it seems like the less stressful route, but it actually causes more stress to both parties long-term and usually ends up into a much bigger volcano. One counselor calls it holding till exploding. Or if we don't avoid, we go to the other side, we compete. In other words, we defeat. We must be right. We must win the argument. Or as one of my friends say, if you're not willing to go 15 rounds, like, I don't know if you can be my friend. I'm like, why do I gotta go 15 rounds to be your friend? <laughs> can we just go like four? It's winning the argument. It's making a case for how wrong the other person is. It's, it's, it's devaluing their opinion, devaluing their feelings, discounting their point of view um, and staying stuck in your point of view. And sometimes we do this directly and it's like, let's go. I mean, it's, you know, it's goodwill hunting. You know, we can just step outside and figure this out. Or we do it verbally. Or most of the time, even the computer's like, yeah, let's fight. We do it very indirectly and passively. Like there should be a term for people who are aggressive, but like passive about it. <laughs> and so we... What, Dr. Charity? There is? Okay, great. Um, what do we do? Well, like, we, we, we indirectly, we oh, get at work. I can't believe so-and-so, da-da-da-da-da. We build a faction, we build an army. So that way, when we do go 15 rounds, it's like, you ready to go against me and my army? You wronged me. 
Or we go into Facebook and it's like, you know, I have this one coworker. Blah, blah, blah. We're like, well, you only work with one person, so we know who you're talking about. My general manager, you have one general manager, right? We, we go to coffee, we, we get all these things, we Facebook, we gossip, or we just do sarcastic, cutting remarks. We won't do it in person. And Dr. Phil, I love this. He said that uh, if people are focused on winning the argument, then the relationship will always lose. Oh, he got that from Jesus. And here's why this matters. You know what the consequences of us not resolving conflict are? Eroded trust, decreased motivation in every area of your life, lowered morale, increased stress, and a myriad of health risks. That's what happens to us physically, physically and psychologically and physiologically when we have unresolved conflict. Avoid, compete. But Jesus offered a different idea. His new kingdom. He's like, what if we didn't avoid? What if we didn't compete? What if we lovingly, humbly, benefit of the doubt, grace-filled, and it wasn't about being right, but it was about getting it right. And he says this later on in the same chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's talking about the competitors. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If they slap you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. If anyone sues you and takes your shirt, just give them your coat too. If they force you to go one mile, he's talking about Roman soldiers here, go two. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Actually, I'm changing that. I tell you, love your enemies, woe, and pray for those who persecute you and then you'll be children of your father in heaven. Don't avoid it. Don't fight them. Lower yourself humble. Followers of Jesus go second and go, hey, listen, I don't know what I did to make you react that way, but can we just push pause before you throw that punch? I'm really sorry and, and whatever I gotta do to make this right. 90% of the time, like, ah, oh, it's not you. I just lost my job, my blah, 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 blah. But you're just like punchable right then. Jesus says, let's not retaliate. Let's lower ourselves. Let's humble ourselves and go, hey, even if in my head and my heart, but it's all their fault. Cool, good thing I have a relationship with God that he's like, let's me know I'm loved and I'm okay and I don't have to prove anything. So then when I go into the relationship, I don't have to prove anything to you. I'm like, hey, I just need you to know how important this is. Nothing's more important than this right now even if they were completely wrong. And it's why, Jesus, it's why in Matthew 18, he literally laid out a four-step process of resolving conflict. In verse 15, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Oh, he puts a really important distinction in here. <laughs> Just between the two of you. You won't believe what Pastor Dennis did to me. Let me tell you. No, I won't believe it. Tell me. Jesus is like, don't do that. Go make it right. Well, what if Dennis doesn't listen? He has step two and step three and step four. It's like, it's like he knew how bad we were gonna be. There's all kinds of information about this in the Bible. So, and he repeats it often. Now, Paul says one thing that I wanna give a caveat to because uh, this is a part of our family story. Uh, in, in directly and indirectly, I know a lot of you, um, there are just toxic, dangerous relationships where there's legitimate abuse, psychological, physical. Jesus is not asking you to go be a doormat. Here's an important caveat that Paul, when he was teaching the Romans, he said it this way in Romans 12. I'm gonna jump. Um, he kind of does this whole bless those. People don't persecute them. Don't be proud. But in verse 17, he says this. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. We don't do that. We don't retaliate. Huh, common thread. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of anyone. I love this. In verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's an important caveat right there. 
as far as it depends on you. There are, unfortunately, some of you have some people in your life that you could literally be Jesus and they're not crossing the bridge. Your job is not to make them cross the bridge, but your job is to build the bridge. That's the best way I could say it. They may never come back, but you make sure you get what you need from God and your healthy community. And then you go to the toxic community and you go, hey, I, I want this to be right, whatever. You're probably gonna have to have boundaries. That's why we got pastors, we got counselors, we got all kinds of stuff here to help us navigate that. But there are some people that it's just on this side of eternity, it's just never gonna be good. They're too hurt, they're too wounded, they're too whatever. Outside of a miracle, which is possible, you're gonna have to have some boundaries on your side, but go, hey, the bridge is always here. And if you're willing to honor the boundaries and, and, and treat me like a human, then we can talk. And so for some of us, some of you, you have done a lot of, I, I, again, I have some people very close to me that have built the same bridge multiple times. It gets, continues to get kicked down. They build it back up. They can't make the person walk across, but you do everything you can. And some of you just needed to hear that. And so God is asking us this question. I love your worship. I love your generosity. I love that you're hungry for the word. You want to get it in you to let it transform you. But is there something off with someone that maybe between now and next week, you need to make a call. Here's, here's my question. Since I've been talking about this the last 20 or so minutes, is there one name that keeps coming up? Is there one movie that keeps playing in your head? Is there somebody in your world that you know that God is speaking to your heart right now going, hey, I'm not gonna reject your worship and I'm not gonna reject your offering. Well, he might, but I won't, so you can bring it. But I just need you to know, even more important to me than that is set up the coffee. Start to craft the apology. So my question is, is there a text message you need to pray and think about sending? Is there a apology? Is there a letter you need to write? And the text message isn't the conversation, by the way. The text message is, can we talk? You don't do it over text. Let me help you with that. Because God super cares about the relationships in your life. Why? Because some of us are missing out on some really, really meaningful parts of life and, and moments. And God wants you to reclaim what's been lost. And he doesn't want you to have stress. And he doesn't want you to have all these things going on in your heart, but he wants you to, to live free. About four and a half years ago, maybe even more than that, we did a series when I first got here called Fight Club. We built a boxing ring up here. It was a blast. Um, and one of the messages we did, uh, it was about throwing in the towel. Um, and the question was, is there a relationship that you've thrown the towel in on, which means you've given up on that God is saying, time to pick up the towel. And um, I didn't know this, but um, there was a man that goes to our church here named Gary. I'm sharing this story with his permission, of course, that um, we had gotten to know each other because we played golf a couple times. In fact, we were gonna play in a couple weeks and we played about 10 days later. And he goes, I want you to know that that message really challenged me. And I was like, okay, cool, I hear that a lot. He goes, no, no, he goes, you don't understand. He said, I have a couple daughters from my first wife and the, one of my daughters I'm close to, but the other one, we've been completely written off. I haven't talked to her for the better part of five years. She has a, a daughter. I, I saw her when she was young. My granddaughter, she's about eight now. I haven't seen her in five or six years. And she has a, a son. I've never even met my grandson. I'm missing out on their life. I'm missing out on their life. And when you said that, I knew God was telling me I needed to do that. And so I prayed for courage and strength and he did. And he goes, I just need you to know that since then, he goes, I sent a text and said, hey, I don't like how things are. I want to have a relationship once again. And she said, two, two letters, okay. And slowly but surely, they started to talk and rebuild the relationship. Because God wasn't mad at Gary. He wasn't judging Gary. He wasn't shamed Gary. He knew Gary was missing out on his kids and his grandkids' life. And God wanted Gary to have that back. 
God wanted Gary to experience the fullness of being a grandfather and get to be a dad, even maybe reclaim some moments from earlier years. This was four and a half years ago. I'm so happy to tell you that now Gary is an important part of Bridgette's life and her two kids. In fact, my favorite Facebook post I've seen in a long time was this one at Christmas. And it was Gary reunited with his granddaughter, his grandson, and his daughter. Because five years ago, Gary heard a message like this. And it was, what's the text message? What's the call? And by the strength and grace of God, he picked up the towel he got in the ring. And now he gets to be the grandpa and the dad that he was missing out on. And that's why this message matters. Because there's some of us, there's a lot of life we're missing out on. And there's a lot of joy and peace that we're missing out on. And it may seem crazy and impossible, but here's what I know. When you invite Jesus into your heart, he gives you, and you invite him into these spaces, he gives you the strength and courage to do things you couldn't do on your own. And he even gives you the word and the grace to do it. And so I I'm convinced that perhaps the very first thing God has for you this year is not another big goal and to go crush your financial, it's whatever, it's a phone call, a text message, an I'm sorry, an email, or a lunch date. Maybe it's a date night. You know things have not been good with you and your spouse and it's just, I'm so sorry, I wanna do better. Help, can I do better? What if we all did that this week? I think worship and the message would be amazing next week. The message is already going to be amazing because my friend Pastor Chris is going to be here from California. You don't want to miss that. But it wouldn't be about what he says. It wouldn't be about what's sung up here, but it would be about what happens in us because all of a sudden we're living the word. Now, if you've never even entered into a relationship with Jesus, this is really hard to do with him. It's even harder to do without him. And so a great step would be, as we close in prayer, that you say, Jesus, I need you in my life to help me do this. The Bible says he stands at the door of your, your life and he, he wants to come in and he's already paid the price for all your mistakes and he just wants to be a part of your life. So as we pray, you just, you ask him. In fact, there'll be a, a text code behind me if, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus. You can text KPS to 94,000 and we'll walk with you through that process. But my question for us, if we take Jesus at his word, is, is there a relationship where there's some, is the Holy Spirit been kind of bugging you the last 30 minutes and you know what you need to do? And if so, I just want to pray for those of you who the answer is yes. I can't imagine how many Gary's there are still listening going, man, this could be your story in a month or two or a year or two. Is there a relationship that God wants to reclaim? Not because he's mad, not because he's ashamed, but because your relationships really matter to him and you're kind of missing out. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. That, that our relationships matter. I pray that we would take you at your word, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you already paid for our mistakes, that you've already paved a way for reconciliation. You did the ultimate reconciling when you died for every single one of our sins so we could be right with you. And if you could do that for us, God, I think the least we could do is, is send a text, make a call, set up a coffee date. And so God, I pray for strength and courage for anybody who's listening to this message. I pray for strength and courage, God, that we would have the, the wisdom to say the right things, the, 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 the courage to make the call. And God, I just, I'm so excited for the relationships that you want people to reclaim so that you can enhance their life because I am convinced, Jesus, that your words and following you makes life better and makes us better at life. And God, if there's anybody here who has kind of been on the sidelines, but they are ready to say yes to you and invite you into their life, I pray that they make the decision right here, right now, in, the, in, the, in just the quietness of their heart. We thank you, God, that you're always interested in helping us be more like you and you're never done with us. So God, we're excited for what you have for us this month, this year, and in the relationships in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.